Ready? All right. We're talk- I'm going to be speaking today about being politically correct. Anybody in the house politically correct? At least we try to be politically correct most of the times, right? Or try not to offend anybody too badly. So we live in a world where you can't say, you can't say Merry Christmas. You can't pray publicly or pray in public. You can't carry a Bible. You can't talk about your beliefs without offending someone, right? Someone's going to be offended by those things. In the Bible days, they were more worried about being biblically correct than being politically correct, though. Are you following me? That's what we need to get back to is the Bible days. Well, in some senses. We don't want to get out in the middle of the desert and be held up there because we weren't obedient to God or weren't thankful for what he gave us, right? But in, in Numbers 25, um, in Israel in that day, they were camped out in, in a, around some different people, the Moabite people, and the men had started to bring the Moabite women into the camp and to fornicate with those women, right? Everybody knows what fornication means. It means to have sex with someone besides your husband or your wife. That's, what for, that's the definition of fornication. Now, this is a camp of about 2 million people, about 2 million people in a camp. That's four times the size of Kansas City, right? At least four times. I think it's 500,000 people or so, isn't it? Half a million people, and they're in the surrounding areas. So four times that size, and they couldn't find a woman in their own camp. They had to go outside the camp and get a Moabite woman who believed different than they did. Isn't that just like us today? Not just with women, but with anything. God gives us things, and we want something outside the realm of what he's given us. So, so they brought women in, and they were fornicating with these women who served other gods. By served, I mean they were making sacrifices to other gods. So God put a curse on Israel, right? And, and God spoke to Moses and said, bring all the leaders together. And I want you to tell all the leaders to bring the men out of, out of, from under them that have committed adultery or, or have, have fornicated with these Moabite women. The men who are guilty of this, bring them out, and I want you to publicly kill them. Publicly kill these men who are doing these things. So God told Moses uh, to do this, and, and while they were in the midst of having the meeting, he called all the leaders together. And while they were having the meeting, uh, Levi, a grandson of Levi the priest, saw a man come into the camp with a Moabite woman. While they were in their meeting... Uh, saw a man come into the camp with a Moabite woman and give this woman to his brother. So Levi's grandson, Levi's grandson followed them into the tent where they were going to, and he took a spear and he stabbed him through the back and into her stomach with it. Anybody read that story before? It's in Numbers chapter 25. Go back and read it if you'd like to. Levi's grandson wasn't interested with being politically correct. That wasn't politically correct because his brother, it was something they were trying to make mainstream. It happens all the time in our society. Right? They'll take one certain idea and they'll, and they'll introduce it and they'll introduce it and they'll introduce it until it becomes mainstream. It used to be Christianity that was mainstream. Right? Anything that spoke against Christ or against God or against the Bible, that was politically incorrect. Y'all going to be quiet all day long today? I thought this was real good. I was just listening to my audio Bible going down the road on my way to work. This is the best thing that happened to me on that day as God spoke to me and said, wow, that man wasn't interested in being politically correct. He was much more interested in being biblically correct. He rose above the views of the world. His brother was bringing him in to give him this woman, right? So there was multiple people. This was happening. It was an ongoing thing, right? So they were trying to make it mainstream, but Levi's grandson rose, uh, rose above the views of the world, the, the views of trying to make it the norm. Right, He rose above that and was not politically correct. Now, obviously, we can't spear anyone we don't agree with, right? We, if, if you'd like to do some serious time in, in prison, then go ahead and take a shot at it. But, but obviously, we can't do that. But there's a difference in offending people because we stand on the Word of God and offending people because we're being a jerk, too. Are you following me? We're going to talk about a, a few different avenues of this today. So God, Jesus, and the Bible are all going to be offensive to the world. All of them are going to be offensive to the world because it confronts their sin and requires change, right? 
God has completely changed my wife. My life could change my wife too. God has completely changed my. <laughs> I mean, he's changed my wife's life. That's what I meant to say. He's completely changed our lives, and a lot of you, he's completely changed our lives around all the time. Not just when we're in church, but at church, at home, at work, when we're out at a restaurant, wherever we're wherever we're at, and whatever we're doing. Our lives are completely changed around. A lot of you can agree with me on that. Your life looks totally different than when you came to God. Because God and, and Jesus and, and, and the Word of God, the Bible, has changed our lives around. And there's people watching us all the time. When I first came to this church, the pastor of this church, I told my Uncle Eddie, some of you sitting here know him. I hope you know, or Andy knows him. I can't hardly keep from it. However, Andy knows him. Um, he told me when I came here, he said, if you're still doing this in 10 years, then I'll come hear you preach. People are watching us all the time. They're looking at us all the time. They're looking if we're going to be politically correct or if we're going to be biblically correct. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 says this, and I'm going to hang out here for a while, and I'm going to kind of uh, pick this apart a little bit. So, so we're going to continue. We're going to, we're going to keep coming back to this, so don't leave your spot back there. This is Paul writing to Peter, right? Apostle Paul was writing to a young pastor who was, a, he, who was pastoring a church of about 50,000 people, right? It says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. In your King James, it says quick and the dead. That word quick there means living, though, right? Who will judge, who will judge the living and the dead at his, appearing, at, at his appearing and his kingdom? So hold on right there. If he's going to judge the living and the dead, if you look in your study Bible, it'll tell you that half the people who's ever existed on earth, I'm talking about from the time that, that God created Adam until 2018, half of those people are alive today, right now. That's how population has just expanded and, and exploded. So if he's going to judge the ones who are alive now or whenever he comes back and the people all the way back to Adam, there's going to be a lot of people there on that day, isn't there? So he's charging us with the next thing he's about to tell us here before, before Christ and before God. He's, tell, he's telling us, so wouldn't you think that we're going to be held accountable for what he's about to say? Isn't that what he's saying here? He's not saying this for no reason. We're going to be held accountable for what comes next. And verse 2 says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now hold on right there, preach. That word preach right there means to publish, proclaim openly something, something which has, has been done, a public crier. It says in parentheses in the Bible dictionary, a public crier. Now, this is in actions and in words. Yeah, it's in actions and in words. So you might say, Pastor, I'm not a preacher. God hasn't called me to stand up in front of people and preach. Well, maybe he hasn't called, called you to do that, but... But when you were saved in the fine print of the Bible, it says you were called into the ministry of reconciliation. It says you were called to be his ambassador. So with your actions and your words every day, you're preaching whether you realize you're preaching or not. Your actions actually speak much louder than your words. Much louder than your words. You can say all you want to say about the Bible. You could have the Bible memorized. Just like the Sadducees and Pharisees did. They had the first five books of the Bible memorized by the time they were 12 years old or so. Paul would have had. You can walk around spouting all that off, but if your actions are saying something different, they're going to see you as nothing more than a hypocrite. Are you following me? So it's with your words and your actions. You were all called to be his ambassadors. We're all called to be in the ministry, right? You mean the ministry preaching doesn't mean necessarily just standing up here and preaching. An example of this 
An example of being of God calling people or calling things to use them is in Numbers 2.28. It says, God opened, you can stay right here, this is the only scripture I have today. God opened the mouth of the donkey and she spoke to Balaam. Right? Go back and read it for yourself. Acts 2, or 22.28. Acts chapter 22, verse 28. It says, God opened the mouth of the donkey and she spoke to Balaam because there was, a, there was an angel of God in the road in front of, of, front of Balaam and the donkey and, and he was trying to get, God's, or trying to get Balaam's attention. But Balaam was focused on what he was doing, right? Sound like us a lot of times? And the donkey, the donkey went to the side, and the donkey smashed his foot, and, he, and, and he, he went against Balaam three different times. So Balaam got off and beat the donkey, and God had the donkey say, Why are you beating me? Have I ever been this way before to you? And, and God opened their eyes up, opened up Balaam's eyes to this, and he was able to see the, the, the angel of the Lord. The moral of the story is, if God or since God can use a donkey... Surely he can use you. Surely he can use me. If you're reading the King James Bible, it doesn't say donkey. It says something else, right? Some of y'all read the King James. So if he could use that critter there, surely he can use me or you. Are you following me? Some of us are more stubborn than a donkey is, though. Yeah, I got one amen out of you. The rest of you should be... Yeah, yeah, not, not the rest of you, but I am a lot of times I know, right? Because God will call us to do things or to say things and, and, we, and we hold up and we, and we hang up a lot of times because we don't want to step out in what God wants us to do because sometimes I'm just too busy trying to do what I want to do or what I think I need to do. Or, or, or if, you, if you remember back last week, we, talked about, we talked, talked about following God's plan. Sometimes I'm too busy on my plan to do what God's plan is, right? So, so he used Peter who denied him. God did. Denied him three times. He used Moses, who was a murderer. He used David, who committed adultery and murder, basically in a roundabout way. He used Jonah, who ran. He used me, who was severely messed up, right? Some of y'all knew me before. I was severely messed up, and I ran from him even after he called me. Even in that state, I should have been happy that God would have used me still after everything that I'd done. But instead of being happy and thankful for that thing, I ran and tried to get away from him, and he still used me. Still call me back to this. God is no respecter of persons. If he'll use a donkey and he'll use me, surely he can use you. He will use you if you allow him to. He could use anyone. Brother Stephan always says this. He says the only ability you need is availability. So many times we think, we, we think that we, we're not good enough. I don't know how to do that. Let me tell you something. I don't know how to pastor a church. God qualifies the called. He'll teach you how to do it. He'll be with you every step of the way. Sometimes there's going to be a, a time where you have to be prepared before he calls you, before you actually step out into what you're going to do. And that's not just with preaching. That's with you talking to your family every day. That's with us being missional. Yeah. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying, you're not spending time with God, how will you ever be prepared to lead someone to the Lord? Right. How will God ever use you in that fashion? I mean, he, he can still use you. He's God. But you could help out the process a whole lot if we'd get in our word. And if we'd spend time with him, and if we'd be living right all the time in front of people, when they see us, we need to be living right. God qualifies the called. In verse 2, it, it says, uh, it goes on to say, be ready in season and out of season. Let's break that down right there. In season means when the opportunity occurs or when it's convenient. That's a good time to do it, right? When it's convenient, it fits in my plan. I don't really have anything else going on. And the person, I know them pretty well, so they're pretty easy to talk to. And they already know that I'm a Christian, so I'm not springing anything new on them. Are you following me? And they may have even been asking me questions about my church. That's pretty convenient, right? That's an easy time to tell someone about God or tell someone about my church or tell someone what God's done to me. 
right? That's in season. But then it goes on to say an out of season. And out of season means inopportunely. That means when it's awkward, when it might be embarrassing, whenever it's uncomfortable, when it's socially unacceptable, when you're in a crowd of people that, that don't necessarily believe in God. And I'm not saying to beat them over the head with your Bible. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when the Spirit leads you to say something, when the Spirit leads you to do something, when the Spirit leads you to not act the way they're laughing, not, 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 or not act the way they're acting, and not laugh at their jokes, that's what I'm talking about. When he, when he, when he leads you to look different. Come out from among them and be you separate. Be in season, in and out of season. That means be prepared and ready and open. Be prepared means you have to get your word. You've got to read your word. You've got to have an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you following me? You can't be living in sin and expect you're going to preach to your family. Expect you're going to see your family saved when you're doing the same things that they're doing. Are you following me? You can't think that, well, I'm a pretty good person. No. The Bible says not one sin will be allowed in heaven. Now, do I believe there's room and grace? Yes, absolutely, I believe there's room and grace. But I also believe there's a difference in blatantly doing something and making a mistake also. Are you following me? So if you make a mistake, I've made mistakes in front of my family, and they've picked up on my mistakes, and they've invited me to come back to sin when I was early on. It happened. I had to go back to them and tell them, I don't do this anymore. I messed up. I made a mistake. I've asked God to forgive me, and you won't be seeing me, you won't be seeing me partake in that behavior anymore. Are you following me? Sometimes you may have to go back and tell them that. But we have to be prepared. They'll respect that if you do it. If you don't do that, they're going to continue to pull on you and pull on you and pull on you and try to get you to go back where you came from. You have to be prepared. You have to be ready. And you have to be open. You have to be available, right? You have to have that availability that, that Brother Stephan was talking about. If, if Timothy and Paul and Peter, who were all martyred, by the way, they were all killed. Peter was stoned, the one we're talking about right here. He was stoned. If they hadn't stayed the course in the face of adversity, their adversity was death. You're not facing much of anything today. A little bit of public embarrassment, right? Maybe you'll get sued. Okay. They beat him with rocks until he died. Do you get that? They were martyred. They faced adversity. If they hadn't have stayed through the course, uh, they hadn't stayed the course of that, Christianity would have died with them. Do you get how big your role is here? It's huge. It's not to just come sit in the chair. Do you want Christianity to die with our generations? That's possible. That's possible. If we don't spread the word and we don't do what we're supposed to do, we don't do what we're called to do, we keep living just like the world is. They've already discounted Christianity. What's the next step? What's the next step? It was just a big joke. It was some crazy people that did this and they got together. You see how the media does things? They can say whatever they want to say. If we're not passing along to some other people, some of you older, more mature Christians, if you're not speaking in tongues, if you're not following the lead of the Holy Ghost, right? If we're not being slain in the spirit, if God, tell, if, if God does those things to us, if he leads us to do certain things spiritually inside the church, I, didn't mean you can, I don't mean you can be slain in the spirit if you want to be slain in the spirit, but I'm, what I'm talking about is if you don't come forward and you're supposed to be slain in the spirit or you're supposed to be speaking in tongues or there's supposed to be a tongues and interpretations, whatever the case may be, if, we're not, if you don't pray for somebody when he tells you to, if we're not following those leadings of the spirit, how will the younger generation ever know? That was lost come the early 1900s. Read the Pentecostal Church of God bylaws book. That's where the PCG came from. When some people discovered what the Holy Ghost was really about. Are you following me? There was other denominations and other religions who had pretty much squashed speaking in tongues and, and moving of the Holy Ghost in, in, in churches. 
You can look on the internet. They had a great revival. The Suzu Street Revivals, they had a great revival. People were healed. They came from all over the world without even advertising. When the Holy Ghost started moving, when these people figured it out, they got in their Bibles and started, started reading and, and, and praying and researching these things, and they got into it, and God honored that, and he met them right where they were at. Church, some of us already know about, the, know about the leading of the Spirit, and we're not stepping out in it. We're not living in it. Shame on us. Timothy passed it on, though. He passed on that gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He passed it on. We must pass it on. Deuteronomy 30, 30, 19, I've said this to you many times. He says, I place before you today life and death, both blessings and cursings. He says, choose life. Which will we choose to, 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 to pass on to our heirs, to pass on to, to our grandkids and our, and our kids and our, and our nieces and our nephews and our coworkers? What are we passing on to them? Do we look different than the world? Are we being politically correct? We don't want to stand out. <clears throat> when all is stripped away, I'm talking about money and jobs and, and houses and a hobby and maybe your reputation, you name it, whatever, whatever the most important thing to you is. Sometimes we get them ahead of God. They shouldn't be. God should be first. But when all those things are stripped away, the only thing else that's worth anything, the only thing that's worth anything is the things that we've done for God and the people that we've affected. Right? That reputation doesn't mean a thing. That big fine house, it doesn't mean a thing. That money you've got in the bank won't mean a thing on that last day. Nothing. We must stay the course in the face of the world that is politically correct to everything but Christianity. Look around you at what's going on in our world today. We have to be the difference makers. It's not all on pastors. It's not all on the Sunday school teachers. The Bible says we're one body. Fitly framed together in an atmosphere thick with love. It's too bad today that the church has discord in it. Discord in the church is like a cancer. When we get to bickering and, and talking about each other and backbiting and talking about how the church is. I heard just not very long ago that our church is a gay church. How do you like that? That came from somebody that goes to church here. However, gossiping, it's like a cancer in the church. How can we affect the people outside if we can't get it right inside? Are you following me? We've got to do something about this. We, we must be careful not to be so worried about offending no one that we stand for nothing. For no thing. Verse 2 also goes back and says this. Convince. Convince means to call to account. The King James uses the word reprove. Reprove means to call to account, to show one his faults. Now you have to do this out of love, right? I'm going to go on and do the next word here, and we'll talk about them together. So we're going to reprove or convince to show someone their fault, and rebuke also. Rebuke means to a judge. That's dangerously close to being a judge, right? A judge award in in sense of merit or a penalty, right? Romans says the wages of sin is death. Now a pastor or a parent can affix a penalty to something you've did wrong, right? A pastor or a parent can do it. And sometimes, sometimes when the opportunity arises, even the layman in the church can attach a penalty. They can tell someone what they did wrong, right? But it has to be out of love. And it has to be spirit-led. Even as a pastor, I can't get up here and just tell you what you've done wrong and, and this and that and attach a penalty to it. Are you following me? It has to be spirit-led. The spirit has to give me a message. Then I bring that message to you. If you're telling people things like this with anything besides the utmost love and, and, and being totally led by the Spirit, then you're wrong. Because if you beat people over the head and you don't do it out of love and it's not Spirit-led, all you'll do is push them away. 
Are you following me? But we have to sometimes show people where their faults are at and attach a penalty to it. And, and this happened to me this week. I work with a man, and he, and he comes over and talks to me a lot at work. And he was talking about he would love to retire, but he's not really ready to retire financially. And he was hoping to wait another year, year and a half. But he don't think he can stand this place long enough. And he used God's name in vain several times. And he sat there and talked to me like that and kept talking to me. And I was offended by that. So I said, uh, I just said, don't use the Lord's name in vain. I said, if you, if you continue to use the Lord's name in vain, you may not make it that long. Because the Bible says he won't allow that to go unpunished. It's biblical. It's gave him the word. Maybe I was a little bit too gruff with him, but if I wouldn't have addressed that situation, he was going to continue to come back and talk about my God like that, and I don't want to hear that junk. Are you following me? And it happened to me again. Two days later, I called AutoZone. This was Thursday night. I called AutoZone looking for a hydraulic filter for my mower. Called him up, and the kid says... God, and he, he continues, he said it a couple times, and I said, don't use the Lord's name in vain, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I said, God says that punishment, or he, or he won't allow that sin to go unpunished, he won't, I didn't say sin, I said, he won't allow that to go unpunished, my wife said I was probably a little too forward with that guy, I shouldn't have got onto him like that, but I don't want to hear you say, and, and you should have a better business practice than that, when I call your business, you shouldn't be using my Lord's name in vain, right, I don't want to hear that stuff. Like, I don't want to hear gossip. I don't want to hear that stuff either. But sometimes we need to speak up as Christians. Do it out of love. Maybe I was wrong by saying that, babe. I don't know. But I, it will probably stop him from saying that when he answers the phone anymore. And you have to, I think of it like this. They probably consider it no big deal because I know how it was when I lived in the world. I considered saying God's name in vain, no big deal. I didn't realize the severity of it. I didn't realize the penalty that was attached to that until I got, in, got saved and got in the Word and started reading those things. But, however, that, that, that's just an example of what happened to me this week. Maybe I, maybe I should have been a little more loving in it, but I was taken up for God. So, however, I, I would rather stand in front of God and say that I did that than say that I did nothing. Okay? So, it also says the word exhort. Exhort there means to call to one side, invite, instruct, or teach. So, you're inviting them along with telling them this is where it's wrong at. And this is mostly for pastors and teachers. He's talking to a pastor here, right? But if you're led by the Spirit, you may have to do this someday. So he's saying, tell them what was wrong. Attach a penalty. It's also talking about you and your, kill, your, your children. Tell them where they're wrong. Attach a penalty and then invite them to be saved and come into that relationship with God with you. Not with you, in relationship with God beside you, right? And teach them and instruct them and show them what the doctrine is. It also uses the word long-suffering. Long-suffering means patience, endurance, and consistency consistency. If you're not doing this out of love, you will not have long-suffering. If you're getting an attitude with people, you're not right. Are you following me? If you're getting an attitude and just going off and telling people, this and this and this is what you do wrong, you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell, and you're just beating them over the head with this thing, I hope I'm doing this justice today, because there's a fine line right here. There's a really fine line right here. It has to be spirit-led. It has to be of God. It has to be when God opens up the door to say it. Are you following me? So if you're not doing that out of love, you won't have long-suffering. And then verses 3 and 4 says this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They're not going to listen to sound teaching. They're not going to listen to what this word says. I would venture to say, church, that we're living in that day. If you look around you, look at the people that we work with. Look at the people that you're around outside of church. 
They will not endure sound doctrine. A lot of them don't want to hear what you've got to say. A lot of them don't want to hear what the Word says. Or they want to argue about the Word. They want to outsmart the Word. They want to be smarter than God is. They're placing themselves above God when they do that. Even if we do that, we're placing ourselves above God. They will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, their own desires. Remember last week what I preached about? Their own desires or their own plans, not God's plan, but their own. Because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers. Heap up for themselves teachers. Come on, sis. <clears throat> and they will turn their ears away from the truth. What's the truth? The Word of God, right? God's Word's the truth. It's right every time. And be turned aside to fables, fairy tales, non-fictional stories. Isn't that exactly what's happening today? Instead of listening to God's word and God's teaching and being in a relationship with God, they have non-fictional desires rooted in things that, 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 that are going to go nowhere. They're not going to be worth anything when they stand in front of God. If you're right with God, you'll seek change. You'll want to repent. And sometimes we get complacent in our relationship with God. Sometimes maybe we're not right even as more mature Christians. If we think that we're, we get to thinking that we're good enough or we've arrived, maybe we're not quite right. Are you following me? There's a cure for that. It's called repent. Go to God. Ask him for forgiveness. Fall down on your face and ask him for forgiveness one more time. And call, I, I realized this through this message. I realized that I was kind of coasting along a little bit. I mean, I was reading my Bible. I'm studying. I'm doing those things. But where's the change? Where's the change? Sometimes we come so far and we think, well, I've changed enough. I don't do all those things anymore. But shouldn't I be looking more spiritual all the time? Shouldn't I be more spiritually mature all the time? I mean, if I'm not different next week than I was this week, even if it's a little bit, something's not right. And if a month goes by or six months goes by or a year or two goes by, and if you still look the same as you did a year ago, you need to check yourself. You need to ask God to check yourself if you're not progressing anymore. Because if you're right with God, you'll seek change. You'll repent. You'll realize that you're never perfect, but you're being perfected. We're not good enough. The word separates us from sin. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. His word is. It'll separate you from that sin if you're getting into your Bible, if you're reading your Bible, if you're applying that to your life. The difference in the church and the world, that's it right there. The difference is healthy Christians are seeking change. Are you following me? You notice I said healthy Christians? Some of us are a little sickly. Some of us need another dose. We need to get back in the Word. We need to get back in that relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God. Some of us need to come to the altar at the altar call today. And let's get it right. But the difference in, in the world and Christians are Christians, healthy Christians, are seeking a change, but the world don't realize or are in denial that they need change. Or sometimes they're holding on to something. Right, And sometimes that fits us as Christians. Sometimes we think we're, we've, we've gotten good enough. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big boy spiritually. I'm a pretty big girl spiritually. I'm pretty far along. But we don't realize that we still need change. We're not perfect. Unless you can stand up here today and say that you're perfect, you need to be looking for change in your life, seeking that change out. This thing is missional. Ask God to use you. Live it out in front of him all the time in your words and your actions. Seek and change out constantly, continually looking to grow and looking to pour in others, to grow others. If that's you today and you are part of the church, 
and maybe you haven't changed in a while, come to the altar. Come to the altar. Fall on your face before God. I don't care if you have to be here till night. Get it right. Get it right. Can I get everybody about it this time? Don't think about who's looking at you. It doesn't matter. You can do it at your chair too, yeah? That's true. But it takes a lot more of a commitment to come to the altar. Another thing that happened to me this week, another thing that happened to me this week, and I skipped it in my notes, I was going in the preschool, a time that was uncomfortable to minister. It was uncomfortable to minister. I went in the preschool, and my daughter's teacher was sitting there in a chair. She couldn't get up and open the door. She told me she'd hurt her back. And I took Grace into school, and I came back out, and I said, have you prayed about your back? She's a Christian lady. She said, no, actually, I didn't. My, my husband gave me a pain pill, and uh, my husband gave me a pain pill, and I went to sleep. So the Spirit was quickening me to pray for her, and I knew that I was supposed to lay my hands on her, but it was going to be really weird and really awkward. There was other parents standing there. Not all of them are Christians. There was people from the office there, and it was right in the foyer room of the church they go to preschool in. So she said, put your hand right here on my back. I put my hand on her shoulder blade, and I prayed, and the Spirit showed up so strongly. I was sweating. And, and I, as soon as I stopped praying, I, could hear other, I heard another woman praying with me. Other people walked in there with us. I didn't know who was in there. And it was really kind of awkward. It was, out of, it was out of my comfort zone. And, and as soon as I took my hand off her, she said, isn't that sweet? And she started bringing attention to me. And I took off out the door. I, didn't, I don't want any credit for it. God showed up. And when I came back to get Grace that day, she was standing outside holding the door open, smiling and talking to people. And I said, I see you're not in that chair anymore. So God healed her through that act of obedience. But however... That's, that's nothing about me. That's all about God. If we'll just be obedient. If you're here today and you don't know God as your personal Savior, this is what I ask you to bow your head for. If you're here today and you don't know God as your personal Savior, could I see your hand? If something was happening today and you died or Jesus stepped out on the, on the cloud, do you know that you know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven? If you don't, could I see your hand? Just slip it up and back down. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. Any takers on it? You can be right before you leave here today. I'm going to take that as you're all ready. Let's go ahead and close in prayer then. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We love you, Daddy, and we praise you, Lord. I thank you for the people who, who've come to the altar to make a new commitment to you, Father God. Lord, I pray that you would soften their hearts, Lord. I pray that you would change their lives, Father God. Lord, I pray that you would change the lives of everyone sitting in this church today. Lord, if there's someone here who's not right by you, Father, I pray that you would draw them to you today. Lord, convict them and convince them, Father God, and show them that you're a loving God, Lord. Show them that you're still alive and well, Father God, and you're still in the miracle business, Lord, and you're still able to save their souls, Father. Lord, I pray that you would draw us close to you today, Father. Draw us so close to you, Lord, that we've never experienced this before, Daddy. Lord, I pray that you would just cause us to think about it next time we think about being politically correct, Lord, and think about what's biblically correct, Father. I pray that you would just draw us close to you, Father God, in more strong relationships, Dad, and use this church. Use this church to be missional, Father God, and reach outside the walls, Lord, and see souls saved for your kingdom, Daddy. I pray that you would keep us healthy and whole as a church body, Father God. Lord, I pray that you would spread your love throughout whoever is in this body, Father God. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us safe until our next appointed time, Daddy. 
Bring us back here, Lord, with visitors, Father. We pray for the ones who are missing today, Father God, the ones who are usually here, Lord, or have been here, Daddy, and aren't here today, Dad. I pray that you would touch them, Lord. Heal them if they need a healing, Lord. Touch them if they need a touch, Father. Lord, touch their families, Father God. Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw them close to you, Lord, and bring them to here, Lord. If this is, if this is where you've called them to, Lord, bring them here. If not, Lord, call them where you would have them at, Father. In Jesus' name we pray these things, Daddy. Amen.